there, weary traveler. Welcome to the inn. Sit, sit, rest your feet. Why, it's a long journey on the road to Tarvalon. Have a cup of tea. Or maybe a frothy ale. The light. Why, you're just in time for the entertainment. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. Her jaw dropped as a long gray shadow snarled past, seeming to ignore her and the horses with her. But teeth snapping at the crazed animals now darted in every direction. A second shadow of death followed close behind. Nynaeve wanted to scream again, but nothing came out. Wolves? Light help us. What was Moraine doing? Nynaeve, Chapter 37, Eye of the World. Hello and welcome back. I am here with my friend Tracy. I'm here with my friend Amber. And we are the Road to Tarvalin, a Wheel of Time podcast. Woohoo! I do get excited that that's us. <laughs> it is us. It is us. <laughs> and I wanted to make sure we remember we had our first patron on Patreon. Lee! Um, yeah, it was very exciting. Like the minute I saw it, I was like, yeah. It was exciting, so thank you so much. It's Leith? Leith? How do um, you... I don't know. Oh, now I feel like a jerk. Leith? I feel like Leith, right? Okay. I don't know. We have, like, in in our friend circle, you know, like we have the, a Leith. Like the Viking, Leith Erickson? Wasn't that oh, the guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, if we've butchered your name, please tell us so that we can get it right. But yeah. thank you. Thank you so much. It really just, it absolutely made our day to have our first patron. So thank you. Thank you. You're Yay. the first. You're, You're the, the very first. first. <laughs> it's exciting. Since we've recorded our last episode, we've had new patrons. And I want to give a special shout out again to Leith. <laughs> also, our innkeeper, the Finn, at the... <laughs> At the Winking General, Adrian, our Winterfell Sedai, innkeeper of the Butterfly Garden. Thank you guys so, so much. So, so should we should we start off? We've made it to Camelin, finally. I'm, I'm so excited. Like, we did our 101 last week, and I was like, yay, because we did it on Tom, and it was super fun. But the minute we were done recording, I went outside, and I started reading. <laughs> reading these chapters yeah because i was so excited i was like things are happening i want to be there yeah so i'm excited and ready we are what probably four fifths of our way through the book show I me where say. You, show me where you are in your book because i read mine on a kindle Ooh, look how far we've gone <laughs> it's always fun far. to see it. yeah it's always fun to see it in a book Kindles aren't quite the same. No, but how long has it taken us to get to Camelin? This long? The song. Yeah. 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 So we're slow got... travelers. Yeah. We like the scenic route. <laughs> we have bad maps. <laughs> All of our maps are from before the breaking. It's a mess. <laughs> we are shit travelers, Amber. <laughs> Sleeping in uh, soggy haystacks. Yep. Getting run yeah. out of towns. Need to record with like straw in my hair. Mm, that would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> a 
or just so anyways <laughs> Rand and Matt are finally in Camelin and it is huge and bustling and Camelin looks really really big especially compared to Berlon which Rand at first thought was ginormous a big city yeah and even the ruins of Arid Hall or Shadar Logoth seem kind of unimpressive in comparison mm-hmm. so the wall guarding the city is 50 feet which is 14 meters and then it stretches 24 miles long which is 38 kilometers so this is That's big huge yeah. It's huge. That would drive me across town all the way. Yeah. It's huge. That's Sorry. a massive wall. And yeah, so, the scope of it really kind of broke my brain for a second. You think about big cities needing to be defensible, mm-hmm. and this idea of such a large and long wall really drives that point home. Mm-hmm. So. Outside the walls, the buildings hug the structure like lichen clinging to rocks. I love that. I thought that was a really pretty um, way to say it. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll you'll see a lot of the times I know where I live, the the old remains of the wall that went around the city. Mm -hmm. There are houses that use the wall as part of their foundation. Mm -hmm. So... It's like, oh, hey, it's a free wall. I'm just going to build up around yeah, it. against so it. So this is, yeah, this is a very it's a really, normal thing. Yeah, yeah I remember uh, learning in class that in France, at Notre Dame, there are little, like, little buildings that had kind of built up all the way around it at, like, some point prior to, like, wiping all those things out. So, mm-hmm. And they, this happens again later in Kyrian, where we see people outside the city living outside the city so i love that this has like historical real world connections i love it i love that you live in a city where you can actually (laughs) see it and experience it it's so cool it's so cool before we moved the um the old the old building that i lived in if i looked across the street they were renovating their it's like a carport kind Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. where they had just built it's kind of like a half garage, mm-hmm. but it was connected to the wall. So, so it still gets cool. used. <laughs> yeah. It's just, that's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. I love it. Just going to park my car here. Right. But anyways, so within these walls stand these giant towers, and they are described as bejeweled. And the towers inside the wall are even taller than the wall. And mm-hmm. there's domes and red and white banners flying everywhere. And these are the colors of Andor, the mm-hmm. Trakand lion. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? I think their banner is a, a white lion on a red backdrop. I believe that's right. So we've got this really vibrant city. Mm-hmm. And... When I'm trying to think about real cities that would compare to this, Mm -hmm. I kind of drew a blank and was thinking, (laughs) okay, what are all of these maybe really old, most likely European cities? (laughs) Because that's kind of what comes to mind. Yes, for sure. The only thing that I got to was maybe Prague. Like that was Mm -hmm. really the only thing that in my head canon kind of fit just with like the old and new mix. Mm Mm-hmm. With Prague, they have all of the gates 
and that kind of felt similar. And then, of course, the castle is gigantic Mm -hmm. and it sits up on Mm -hmm. a hill. So it kind of had that same feel, sort of. Mm -hmm. But Almond Blunt, I did it again. Almond (laughs) Almond Bunt. (laughs) Just rename him. (laughs) Mr. Blunt. Mr. Blunt. He's very blunt and he tells Rand <laughs> that he should get rid of his sword because mm-hmm. it's going to make him a target. That heron mark is something that people seem to notice for good yep. reason. Right. And the boys depart looking for the inn that Tom had told them to find. Matt, again, is very suspicious and paranoid. And all of these townspeople that are bustling around is just making Matt insane with paranoia. And Mm -hmm. he keeps repeating the fact that he thinks everyone is dead. And Mm -hmm. Rand is still clinging to some hope. Yeah, it was... Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. It was just one of those moments where, like... Because this is a Rand point of view chapter, we get him taking in this magnificent city and he's like, oh my gosh, we can hide in this. We're going to be okay. We're where we're supposed to be. And for Matt's Marais. like, how are we ever going to hide here? Yeah. And, and he's like, like what everyone's are you talking dead. About? Yeah. Like he just like, he really just like puts a big damper on mm-hmm. Rand's hopes. And you you feel it in the book where he like kind of sinks into it for a second but he's like no fuck that i'm not mm-hmm. giving into it good job pulls Rand. himself out of it yeah ran notices that the men within the city cover their sword hilts with red and white wrapped fabric mm-hmm. so he buys some red cloth not the red and the white just the red to save mm-hmm. money and then he conceals his sword hilt well doesn't the- he buy like white cord to tie it in place isn't that how he, they had it done? Um, when he went to buy it, he didn't have enough money, and he was kind of looking at the prices and was just like, okay, just the red fabric. He might have used something to bind it. I'm not sure. I okay. don't remember. But <laughs> the two managed to eventually find the inn called the Queen's Blessing, and they're met questioningly by the innkeeper Basil Gill mm. and Basil recognizes Tom's belongings and wants to know what happened. Mm. Rand explains that Tom saved their life but was killed in the process. And Basil Gill says that he doesn't believe that Tom is dead because he's harder to kill than he looks. Yeah, he's like, I'll believe it when I see his body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're like, oh, hmm. It kind of breaks the, what is it, breaking the third wall where... Mm -hmm. As the reader, you kind of feel like, okay, if he died off screen, we want to see the body first. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> yeah, and he's like bringing it in. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 I'll believe it. I'll believe yeah. it when I see his corpse. That's what mm-hmm. I'll. That's when I'll believe that. <laughs> Love it. So, Basil Gill tells us that Tom's mysterious backstory is very complicated. Mm. And that he was actually the royal court bard and had a inappropriate relationship with Queen Morgays. Inappropes. Yeah, he left Sorry. to protect his nephew Owen and this upset Queen Morgays. Mm-hmm. Tom kind of got caught in between Morgays and Elida on this oh, one. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he didn't put things in the most... And the, he didn't bring things up in the nicest way to Morgays. I'm sure he was kind of just like, I got to do this. Mm-hmm. And there's a thing I need to take care of. And I feel like he didn't give her the whole story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Elida was probably 
she was probably smart enough to manipulate the situation in a way that she talked more gays into the fact that if you know Tom ever comes back, he's gonna go be imprisoned or maybe mm-hmm. find the headman's block. Mm-hmm. So Tom is has hasn't been back to Camelin since mm-hmm. this sentence was passed, mm-hmm. and even Gareth Bryn. Mm-hmm. who is the captain of Queen Morghese's army. Mm-hmm. He knows Tom as well, and he's, mm-hmm. still, he's still working for um, House Tricand. Mm-hmm. So Tom can't come back. Mm-mm. This guy knows what he looks like. The whole town, you know, I, I feel like we need, like, wanted Tom posters everywhere. Yes. <laughs> Just all over the place. Mm-hmm. So Tom was forced out of the city with a price on his head. Mm-hmm. And we learn that Basil Gill, out of respect for his friendship with Tom, gives Matt and Rand a bed on the top floor of the inn and feeds them. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was kind of funny, too, because the top floor of the inn would probably be the worst rooms. Mm-hmm. Heat rises if you're... There, when it's warm, it's going to be like a sauna. But I guess it's mm-hmm. still kind of, it's still um, oh, kind yeah, of cold it's still there, cold. right? Yeah, cold so. and blustery is usually, like, people have been covering up mm-hmm. their faces with scarves and whatnot, and, like, spring still hasn't come, so, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe. Maybe, they're, maybe they lucked out there. Yeah, maybe it's <laughs> nice and cozy instead. Yeah. Or it's overheating, and it's more like an uncomfortable sauna nonstop. <laughs> or it it's go- just Creaky and drafty. (laughs) Exactly. And freezing cold. Either way, this doesn't sound luxurious. No. Mm -mm. (laughs) But it is really kind. It is. It is. And this is where we leave off. Because there's more of Camelin's stuff to happen in Chapter 36, Web of the Pattern. And I'm glad that we get to stay in Camelin for a little bit longer because... This is a good part, and I love the description of the city. So Master Gill takes Matt and Rand to a table, and he's keeping an eye out on the room to make sure that they're not interrupted. And Rand ends up giving a version of the truth and not the full truth to Master Gill. And I think this was really interesting. He leaves out the information about the Trollocs and the Fades. In the book, he says, when somebody offered help, it would not do to tell them it was all about fables. And I get what he's saying, but I also have to wonder why he thinks everyone is going to think that they are fables. It It's interesting to me that he puts his perspective on another person while he's talking to them. And then I also have to wonder, like, are the only people who really believe that Trollocs and Fades are real are the Borderlanders? And are they the only ones that are, like, keeping all of the Westlands safe? And does everyone just not know about this? It's just... No, it can't be, because Bill Doman was like, oh, yeah, Trollocs, no big deal. So I feel like if if you're with anyone who's traveled just a little bit, it's, You're going to think they're real and not fake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's kind of what I thought. And I was like, Rand, maybe you should have told him everything. Like, I doubt he would have laughed you off and he would be better prepared. But too, I guess with all of the dark friend shenanigans, he's just 
probably scared to trust anyone and they just met that's also true yeah and during this conversation rand also asks for an opinion on approaching elida and master gill is like no just Mm -mm. don't 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 do that don't think about doing it it's a bad idea so matt and rand are shown to their rooms and matt immediately curls up in his bed he doesn't even take his filthy clothes off and he faces the wall (laughs) i mean seriously wouldn't you want to at least take off a layer of something they're travel weary they haven't bathed yet and Matt's just like, I'm going to curl up in the bed and I'm going to look at the wall and I'm not going to talk to anybody. And this is I where I'm staying. I can see him staying. leaving his boots on. Even. Exactly. Yeah. So Rand's like, hey, do you want to hang out? Matt's like, no, I don't. I want to stare at the wall and hold my dagger close to my chest. So Rand heads downstairs and he realizes that he just would rather be alone so he asks one of the bard maids who has already been very flirty with him and the flirty barmaid tells him there's a library for him to retreat to is this the first library rand has ever been in because i feel like it, it is possibly and how fun that it's in an inn that's one thing that's always bothered me about the two rivers we don't know how these people are educating themselves right i mean we know that he Later on in this chapter, he says, well, Tam really wanted to read this book. So they have books, but no mention of a library. I personally love libraries. So this idea of going to a library was delightful coming at it from a first person or like someone seeing Mm -hmm. it for the first time. So Rand goes in and he's just blown away by all the books that he sees on the shelf and it makes him think of Tam and how Tam likes to settle into a book and read things and this makes him just feel so homesick and I feel so bad for him and there is like this description of the books and how they are bound and I really enjoy that because books and binding of books especially before like printing presses was so unique and beautiful animal skin vellum I love I love 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 vellum and the idea of it even if it is a, a, a little a little unpleasant to think about at the same time <laughs> it's what Animal it is skin books wouldn't that at some point start to smell bad how do they treat that okay now i have to look that up i need to know how they make vellum i think a lot of is it, it has processed? to do with temperature control like yeah i'm yeah it has to be processed like in the same way that they would make leather you know Mm -hmm. but i'm sure in any dank damp area it would just rot like anything else yeah yeah okay cool i old old timey book creating (laughs) is something that i'm really fascinated by and how often really amazing things have been found in old libraries that people have shuffled through. So anything that involves books and writing and research, because I should be in the brown Aja, I love it. But in the library is another surprise, and Rand nearly leaps out of his skin because it's a troll. I'm sorry, I know it's a no gear. <laughs> oh, poor loyal. Oh, poor loyal, right? So loyal is a no gear, and this is the first time that Rand has met in Ogier, so another fable come to life, and poor Loyal was basically chased through Camelin by a mob waving around knives and torches and has been just keeping himself 
in this library. This Hidden. is all he's done. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I came to see Camelin, but everybody freaks out. And that's kind of our fault. Like, we never really leave the studying any longer. So it does take a minute for Rand to kind of figure out what loyal is and then he's like oh you're an ogier and suddenly things start to make sense while they're talking i love i love this loyal addresses rand in a rather puzzling way in response to rand's emphatic statement that the ogier can't give up into despair which is another thing i really like this i do too rand's in like this you can't give up mode rand i really love you right now i appreciate that point of view so much i think he's really feeling energized I think so. You know, so. he's made it. He's got an inn. He's got a roof over his head, food in his stomach. Yep. He's in a library. Yeah. That sounds fucking cozy as hell. Mm-hmm. This has to be soothing for him compared to what they have been going through, the constant walking and danger and ev- everything that's going on. But there is a case of mistaken identity here. And Loyal looks at Rand and says, that's the way of your kind, isn't it? Till shade is gone, till water is gone, into the shadow with teeth bared, screaming defiance with the last breath, to spit in sight blinder's eye on the last day. And I love that. Like, we know where that comes well, from. of course, but Rand is like has no idea what to say and how yeah. to respond. No. And so they have this, like, staring contest. <laughs> I love the thought of it. They're both befuddled. Yeah, like, and I can just see Loyal, who's like, the stump's only been meeting for a year to decide if I can go out, being willing to sit there mm-hmm. and wait indefinitely yeah. for Rand. So right. he's just like, do-do-do, and then Rand's like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, Rand just gets uncomfortable and then changes the subject. Right? <laughs> and so something comes up where they're talking somehow the tree of an Sora. Thank you. Yes. So he brings that up, and Loyal's like, you of all people should know. Should know about yeah. Sora. Yeah. And he's like, "I who do you think I am? And so then Loyal's like, I thought you were Aiel, and, you know, Aiel have strange sense of humors, and I thought maybe that was what was happening, and Rand mm-hmm. was like, no, I'm from Minethrin, and Loyal was like, oh, I'm so sorry about your city, and Rand's like, I just learned that it existed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what I, one of the things in there that I like so much is he says, Loyal says, we weren't able to get there on time, and I love that, because when we were covering the Minethrin episode... We learned about the Aes Sedai that was withholding all of the letters for all the requests for the people to come fight because help didn't come because she held it all back yeah and like loyal feels the sadness for rand and rand's like i didn't know manethrin existed until like three weeks ago so thank you Mm -hmm. anyway we got to this point where it's now rand's turn to talk and he tells loyal Everything. Everything. The whole story. Whole story. And it's he's jumping except, all over the place. Except the dreams, except right? Except the dreams, yeah. Like, at that point, he, like, puts the brakes on and is like, no, I don't want him to think that I am totally crazy. This is all mm-hmm. a lot as it is. And I like that for this moment, Rand is kind of horrified that everything is pouring out of his mouth and Loyal's just, like, taking it all in and he's like... You're Taviran. And Rand's mm-hmm. like, what? 
And so we have <laughs> we have an entire episode about Severin. So I'm not really going to get into this particular part of it. But at this moment, Loyal definitely feels that the pattern is, is pulling itself around Rand and probably his friends as well. And he's like, I want to travel with you. Mm-hmm. May I? And Rand's like, wow, that would be great but you're ginormous. How would I hide you? Like, they're trying to keep a low profile. Mm -hmm. This Ogier has already caused a mob to chase him through Camelin. This may not be the best travel partner. So instead, they agree to spend time together and talk and play stones and whatnot. And Bran just kind of hopes that his friends show up soon. And I think that covers pretty much everything that I wanted to say for that. Yay! Yay! All right, so chapter 37, The Long Chase, and we are now moving to Nynaeve's point of view. I'm so excited for this one. Yeah, it's really good. It's nighttime, and Moraine is still tracking the boys with her magic channeling coin GPS ward thing. I don't know what it's called. I still don't don't get it, but okay. I feel I really feel like it's just a ward, right? I think so. Something that something that would kind of give her a little tingle if she's close to it. Yeah. I I just don't know how it works or why it has like such a long lasting residual effect. I feel like it would have to be the opposite of, you know, how she would make on, of course, going to talk about New Spring. This is not really Yay! a spoiler. But <laughs> she would set a ward that would notify her if anyone moved in the camp. Like if Lan would wake up, yeah. she would wake up. She would wake like up. That would be like the opposite of that where mm-hmm. she could feel things getting close or approaching. Interesting. I don't know. Me neither. It's got to be similar. Mm-hmm. But anyways, <laughs> Lan approaches Nynaeve and he grabs her arm in a very rough manner and he says that he and Moraine need her help mm-hmm. and then he leads her down the hill to a camp of over 200 white cloaks. Mm-hmm. Oof. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. One of the boys has been imprisoned and we don't know who is down there. Mm-hmm. We the readers know, but right. they don't know. But they don't know. So... Lan wants to know if she will help, and Nynaeve says she will do anything to save one of her own. And this is just another reason why I love Nynaeve. She doesn't even really think about it. She's just Mm -mm. like, hmm, yeah, I got this. Yeah, for an Emmons Fielders, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There. Love it. So Nynaeve is told to go down there, sneak up, and cut the horse's ropes. Mm -hmm. So... They can, they don't want the the white cloaks to be able to ride after them. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, while she's letting the horses free, Lan's going to rescue the boy or boys, and mm-hmm. Moraine is going to create a distraction. And Lan also tells her to be on the lookout for wolves and to be careful because they're acting a little bit odd, mm-hmm. kind of strange. Mm-hmm. So Nynaeve is sneaking through the forest with her best um, stalking skills. Yeah, yeah, her best stalking skills. Yeah. And she gets to the horses and starts 
one by one going to cut each of the ropes. She does have a bit of a scare when one of the horses makes a noise and she's thinking any noise that one of these horses make, I'm going to attract someone Mm -hmm. because she's been watching and counting their shifts. They'll kind of walk by on guard duty. Mm -hmm. And so she's kind of been timing things. Mm -hmm. So she's at the right point where she knows that she's got to get this done and she can't make any noise. As she's cutting the horses, is free it's so dark she ends up cutting herself Mm -hmm. and this is another one of those hold your breath moments because Mm -hmm. she's in her own head kind of almost like muttering to herself like oh I just got to get this done and she's trying Mm to calm the horses and make sure that there is no issues Mm -hmm. she eventually gets to another horse and she realizes that it's Bella Mm -hmm. and Nynaeve is absolutely overjoyed she now knows that Egwene is there in the camp and this is the one person that Nynaeve has been trekking across this long arduous journey with a woman that she despises Mm -hmm. to get to and save Mm -hmm. and she would just do anything for Egwene and knowing that Egwene is with one of the boys imprisoned down there she makes the choice to try and take some of the horses back with her because she knows if they Mm -hmm. have to double up riding the horses then they won't be able to travel fast enough and the white cloaks will catch up yep as she's making this last maneuver to get the horses ready to go she's basically talking to herself thinking Moraine better make this distraction soon I need it now Mm -hmm. I need it now and as she's kind of Repeating this to herself, explosions are heard Mm -hmm. everywhere, and this creates hysteria within the White Cloak camp. Moraine channels lightning, and Nynaeve almost loses the horses, and as the horses are freaking out, wolves are leaping at the horses, but ignoring Nynaeve and her horses. She leads the horses off into the darkness, and... That's where we end this chapter. And I do really like the idea of these horses and all of the mayhem going on. And then right as Mm -hmm. the horses are freaking out, the wolves are just sinking their teeth in and attacking. It's Mm -hmm. kind of a nice little, it was a really short chapter, but it was a really fun little one. The part in that chapter that hit me differently this time than in times that I've read it before is the moment where she's hanging between the horses, the two horses who are trying to both going, go in yeah. opposite directions. And she's like in between them and she is pulled off the ground and is basically hanging mm-hmm. between these two horses. And I'm like, they used to do that as like a form of execution, you know, like put a person between two horses going in the opposite direction. And like, I've read this this series before I've read this book in particular several times but all of a sudden I was like (gasps) (laughs) Nynaeve you could have been torn in half holy fuck I'm so glad you're okay so yeah that maybe she was maybe she was 
unknowingly channeling maybe because they do like come come back towards her and she's when able she rides, she's able to get when out she rides yeah. off on bella she just wraps the other two horses reins around one of her arms and you know like mm-hmm. pulls them along with pulls her along. i'm just like yeah. ow can you imagine if that other horse has any bad habits to like pull back yeah that you don't know yeah, what about. are you gonna yeah. do your arm's yeah. just gonna get pulled out of socket and she's riding bareback on bella she has nothing to hold on to if anything weird Mm -hmm. happens she's gonna fall but she's doing this as lightning is exploding and wolves are jumping and she's just and the white cloak camp is on full alert now too because of the explosions within the camp it's chaos i think she's just energized by the fact of knowing that Egwene is still alive and she's just, you know yeah. what I mean? She's on cloud nine right yes. now. I don't think anything. Yeah. yeah. She could have she could have dislocated her shoulder. She wouldn't have cared. <laughs> yeah. I everything that she does in that is just so purely focused on rescue and also a little bit with impressing Lan. This was another making- this was another theme of this chapter. She's constantly comparing herself to Lan. In her stalking Mm -hmm. skills and Mm -hmm. she's muttering about this bloody man, you know, and how she thinks that anything that she does, if she shows the wrong thing in his eyes, he might make fun Mm -hmm. of her or talk down on her. And I just don't Mm -hmm. know how I'm supposed to feel about that. Is it just Mm. that she's always experienced people talking down on her that she that's what her assumption would be? It's just hard to it's hard to say. That's actually a really good point because Nynaeve does have a chip on her shoulder because she's a really young wisdom with authority and power in Emmons field, but people only see her for her age. And man, I feel that. Won't get into it, but I mm-hmm. feel it. And so she's so used to people challenging her and being like, Oh yeah, well, I don't think you can do it. And Lan hasn't done that. Instead, he's been like, I'm impressed by you. And she wants to keep... She almost assumes that any time that he makes a mention of that, that there's going to be a but afterwards or something. Like, Mm -hmm. you're impressive, but, you know? Like, I feel like she's just... I don't know. And this is where I, I feel so bad for her. Because mm-hmm. well, we can get this into the spoiler part. I'll write it down. Sure. But I don't sure. want yeah. to get too far into this. <laughs> no, you're fine. Do you mind if I start on it. chapter 38? Cool. Mm-hmm. So rescue. So first, like a chapter title that gives you hope. I'm just going to say that because you're like, yes. And I mean, who knows how this rescue plan is going to go. We have a little bit of a taste of it from the previous chapter, but now we're going to get things from parents' point of view. And the first thing that really hit me in this chapter is the intensely brutal and callous way the Children of the Light are treating these two young people and that they are using their devotion to the light as the reason for treating Perrin and Egwene so horrifically. And this could be, I mean, we've talked about the white cloaks and all of those things, so I don't really feel like I need to repeat any of those things. But it it really just upsets me when something gets used in a fanatical way that then 
ruins someone else and ruins the reputation of something that is generally thought to be good. Perrin and Egwene are leashed around the neck, their hands are tied, and they're being dragged along behind a horse. Perrin thinks to himself that falling would be his death regardless of the orders from the Lord Captain Bornhold. And he says the halter made every step momentous, every rock underfoot potentially fatal. And yeah. I mean, this part... They could just, they could have just let them fall and then drag them Mm -hmm. and be like, oh, sorry that happened. But what a terrible accident. Yeah. Right? Like, and because all of the white cloaks are looking at them like they hate them. Bayer is, of course, the worst, and he spends all of his time just telling Perrin and Aguin what they're going to face when they reach Amador. And Aguin doesn't really seem to think that this is true. And Perrin finally starts to acknowledge the fact that Bayer is just telling the truth. This is what they're going to face. And even though Perrin's mind recoils at the idea of what the questioners do, he's 100% certain that's what he's going to face. And so he's in a really tough spot, not sure what to do. Bayer throws down this sharpened rock and is like, you can escape if you want to. And Perrin's like, think, 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 figure this out. And he starts to get up off of his knees to try to say something. And all of a sudden, crash, (gasps) bang. Help comes, help comes. And it's the thought from the wolves and it blooms in his mind. And Perrin is all of a sudden like, oh, my God, it's Dapple. Is Elias all right? And she sends a message and Elias is okay, but he's wounded. He's in a cave and he's healing. And all of this just takes a second. But Bayer sees like everything that goes across Perrin's face. And Perrin realizes that the choice for escape has been removed and they are now facing certain death. And instead, this is so good because we have this moment where Perrin says everything happened so fast that it was hard to keep up with. I really love this coming up off of the last chapter because we know Mm -hmm. what's going on and and we finally, we get to see it from the other side. Yes, and that's actually one of the things that I like that Jordan does and I think he does it really well is giving us the same moment layered from a different point mm-hmm. of view and I don't hate it because no, it's like not this a repeat a yeah so Perrin is now facing death and he knows that help has arrived and all of a sudden Perrin's eyes bulge as the night seemed to flow into the lantern light and damn Land knows how to make an entrance and he comes in and Byers like I have Perrin's axe and Land just leans to the side and is like what up fool you know what I like is ever since that little Wheel of Time trailer came out with like the land one, mm-hmm. who's the actor that plays him? Do you Daniel remember? Honey. I don't. Yeah, he's in my head now. So this moment in particular where he just like slides to the side, I was like, oh, I can totally see him doing that. Yeah. I'm very excited to see this man move. Seriously. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> oh my God, right? <laughs> you know who the next one we're going to get? We are pretty sure, I I say we, many people are assuming that it's going to be Loghain because we've seen photos of him in a recording booth where like where they do like the voice. 
you know, uh-huh. voiceover. I don't know what it's called exactly, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So we might get a low gain one soon. I'm excited. It was it was fun to have like that mental shift. Like it gives this really fun, fresh layer to reading it, knowing that it's going like these characters mm-hmm. are soon going to be real human beings yes. on a screen. I don't care. I, I, this is all I've ever wanted, and it's so, <laughs> so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Um, so let's see here. During the Leanne rescue? Gets, oh. I was, I was going to skip it. I mean, I've always thought of this as a scene with thunder and rain for some odd reason. Like, that, those two things just kind mm-hmm. of go together. And this was the first time where it was just lightning coming out of a clear sky, mm-hmm. which makes it so much more impressive and deadly and cool. So Lan is able to get Egwene and Perrin out of the camp. They put on white cloak cloaks mm-hmm. and just kind of blend in with all of the chaos of running horses and soldiers and whatnot and land gets everybody out they find moraine nynaeve has not returned yet and she's like i fear that young woman has done something foolish and land turns like mm-hmm. he's gonna leave and moraine is like remember your oaths all land mandragora and lord of the seven towers what of the oath of a diademed battle lord of the malchieri and perrin is like whoa lands all of that and i'm like oh yeah he is <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> and so much more anyway i i love that she like is tossing out all of his titles but we don't those aren't even all of his titles he has more Uh, right he has plenty more more. (laughs) and she keeps adding to it like first it was lord of the seven towers i was gonna look this up but i forgot to what is diademed diademed you know what i tried looking that up as well and what i found is that it's basically the same as the daishan Okay. title that they give to Lan it's not from what I could find because I just did a really cursory search on it mm-hmm. it doesn't really have a connection to anything in real life okay. that I could find but I had the same question I was like what does that mean and Robert I, Jordan like, was just what, like typing up random words like right blah blue blue sounds good sometimes I think that's what happened like he was typing something in his or writing something yeah. and he misspelled it and he was like oh that'd be cool if it was like this and then gave it a capital letter and made it someone's fucking name <laughs> that's how that happened Perfect. so yeah I had the same question it just means he's like anointed to fight okay. and be a badass so mission accomplished Leanne you're all you ever hoped you could be no he's not he's <laughs> So complicated. Anyway, this little moment when Nynaeve comes crashing through the underbrush is so funny to me because Egwene is excited to see Bella. Like, that's what she says. It's Nynaeve coming through on Bella, and Egwene is like, Bella! And Nynaeve is like, Egwene! This hurt me. This hurt me. Right? Nynaeve is like, like, I'm here. We rescued you. And Egwene is like, oh, yay, the horse. Fuck you, Nynaeve. (laughs) Right, like, it's not even her horse. It's like it's Rain's horse. That was cold, Egwene. Right, cold. If she had like raised Bella from a colt, and it, like she had always been with Bella, and they had a like a real tight relationship, maybe. But she's like, yay! I I had the same thought. I was like, Egwene, come on. I just, she's 16. I just she's can't. 16. I just she's can't. 16. I can't even. 
16-year-old girls love horses. I love six, right? I love many 16-year-old girls. Gwen, <laughs> not so much. But I mean, she when I was 16, I had many friends who were also 16. They were great. <laughs> they were not Gwen. I I would have been excited to see them rescue me. <laughs> Maybe more than the horse they were riding on. <laughs> Such a good point. <laughs> oh, Lord. Anyway, I just that it was so funny to me. So it's Nynaeve excited to see Egwene, and then Nynaeve starts walking past Lan, and Lan reaches out and grabs her arm. And I'm like, Are they gonna have this, a moment? Yeah. Is this your way of saying, hey, how's it going? Like, okay. Man, quit, and she seems... quit manhandling people. <laughs> <laughs> I'll manhandle Landragoran. <laughs> we'll add that to his list of titles. <laughs> playground that like pushes around the girl he likes kind of attitude mm-hmm. and Nynaeve doesn't really seem to mind too much no. she's like he but then her and Egwene they hang out and start talking Egwene has realized she should probably be happy to see <laughs> to see Nynaeve um but they get they get away from the white cloaks plan accomplished this actually like more or less went off without a hitch mm-hmm. like Bravo, everyone, because mm-hmm. how often does that really happen? So they get to a place where Lam feels like it's safe for them to be able to have a fire. Nynaeve is aware that Egwene and Perrin have both been injured in the process of them being with the White Cloaks. She goes and takes care of Egwene, and then she comes over and looks at Perrin, who's just totally lost in thought, and she's like, take off your shirt, and he's like, okay, and she's like, <gasps> damn, what the fuck? His bruises have bruises. Yeah. And I mean, he's like, if I wouldn't have had, if I wouldn't have had my rock hard abs. (laughs) I do love that. Yes, that's exactly what he said. That's exactly how he said it. (laughs) And then he did a little pitch for his favorite protein shake. (laughs) (laughs) Along with a mini clip of his workout, which includes swinging hammers. Anyway, Nynaeve patches him up. She puts cooling stuff on him. And then he, like, actually looks at her, and she actually looks at him. And she's like, what is going on? And, like, grabs his head, pulls back his eyelids, and is staring in his eyes. And she's she's like, like, it's not jaundice. It's not. Right? And it's not yellow fever because it's your iris and not the whites of your eyes that are yellow. Mm -hmm. And so Moraine overhears this, comes over, and is like... That sucks. And then walks away. That's how I feel about her interaction yeah. in that moment. Yeah. She's like, it could be good. It 
could be bad and you're fucked Mm -hmm. and she just kind of walks away what's what's strange though is that it's almost land taking on the more fatherly role at this point after moraine kind of leaves them hanging does she think she didn't find the right one maybe Mm -hmm. i don't know she's like god damn it we're stuck with Egwene. fuck (laughs) i'm kidding i'm kidding kidding that young woman is going to be the death of me. So Moraine leaves, but then Lan comes over and is able to talk to Perrin because he recognizes what this is. And Perrin's like, you know, don't you? You know. And Lan's like, yeah. And one of the things that he says, and this really caught me, is he says, it was old and lost long before the Dark One was found. Mm-hmm. And I'm like layers of ages and ages when was the dark one found what was happening before the dark one was there lots of okay there are questions here because to me it seems like lan only knows about this i'm gonna say condition because Uh of his time in tarvalin with Mm -hmm. another young man Mm -hmm. with the same condition condition so yeah is it that he knows about it just from knowing another person that has gone through the same thing? Or is it something that people know about in this world? Because it kind of seems like anyone else. Nope. Can't say it. Gonna write it down. It's all right. Well, in, in this situation, Perrin tells Lan the name of the person. And he says, it's it was Elias. It was a man named Elias. And this actually does get a reaction from Lan because he knew Elias. He trained right. with Elias. And so this is someone that he actually has knowledge of, knew personally. And I think that that's really interesting. And Lan- but he says, like, this was old and long lost before the Dark One was found. But it's like, how do you know this? I mean, is yeah. there something, is there a text written somewhere in the 13th depository mm-hmm. that nobody knows about? <laughs> that I we mean, don't know about. Yeah, it's just, yeah. I, I will leave this for the spoilers. It's cool. The last thing that I wanted to mention for this chapter is that Lan also has centered in around this whole web of the pattern. Is that what it is? Oh, the great web. The pattern is forming a great web, what some call the lace of ages and new lads are central to it. And he kind of leaves this hanging with the question of, but have you been marked out by the light or have you been marked out by the dark one? And he stresses how important it is for them to go find Rand and Matt. And that's where the chapter ends. So nothing comforting for Perrin at the end of this. No. And we know he's a brooder. Mm -hmm. Like he's going to think and think and think. And I mean, I don't even know how many chapters in this or not chapters, but I mean, yeah, chapters. Yeah, I don't know how many pages in this chapter where he's just thinking. Well, I know. If you had some type of illness or something and you didn't know what it was and you couldn't afford to go to a doctor and nobody could tell you what was wrong with you, I'd Mm -hmm. have a lot of sleepless nights, you know? Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel for him. They've been through a lot. Like this, this experience with the White Cloaks is just terrible. Mm -hmm. They are 16 and 18 years old. Mm-hmm. They're kids. And I know 16-year-olds and 18-year-olds don't like to be thought of as kids, but I'm sorry, guys. It's how I'm going to think about you. And it's not a bad thing. It's a 
you're still early in your life. There are a lot of things that you should be experiencing. You're not who you will be at that point. I mean. Right? No, good Lord. If I were still the person that I was when I was those ages, I would hate myself. But I mean, this is not something they should have had to experience. Being bound and beaten and interrogated. Those white cloaks, man. They're fucking fuckers. The white cloaks are I could be more eloquent, but they're terrible. So we can just end it on that cheery note. Sounds good. (laughs) Hey, friends. I know this isn't our usual ad. However, Amber and I wanted to share with you that things are growing and we have opportunities for you to help us continue to create quality Wheel of Time content. First, we finally joined the world of Patreon and would love your support. We have four tiers ranging from $3 a month to $25 a month. To thank you for your support, there are perks for each tier, including exclusive merchandise not sold in our Threadless shop. You can find out more about each tier and how you can support us at Patreon backslash RoadToTarvalin.com or just click on the link in the show notes. Second, our Threadless shop is overflowing with beautiful designs and various items to put them on. We have coffee mugs, phone cases, tote bags, notebooks. There are also plenty of t-shirts and tanks for the summer. Starting June 13th and running through the 27th, all t-shirts are $15. And there's 15% off everything. And there's free shipping on orders over $45. If you have been waiting to grab yourself some Wheel of Time merch, your time is coming. Third, we love you guys, really. Thank you for all the support you have given and for keeping us company on the road to Tarvalon. So spoilers? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Okay. Yeah. All right. So chapter 35, Camelin. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Big points of this chapter revolve around the descriptions of Camelin and Tom's backstory. Mm-hmm. Tom's backstory, pretty straightforward. Don't need to go into it. We did a whole Tom episode. Right before this one. If you have questions, go there. <laughs> yeah. The main thing that I'm just getting from this description of Camelin is how excited I am to see it. Mm-hmm. I know Basil Gill was cast, so unless they are mm. making him an innkeeper not in Camelin, then we're going to get a Camelin. We have to get a Camelin. We probably won't see the Tracons this season, but I think we're going to get a Camelin. Yeah, yeah. I like that we're going to get a Basil Gill because he does show up so much later mm-hmm. on. So I'm glad yeah. I'm glad they're keeping him there, you know? I mean, hopefully he'll be there. It's gotta be. Gotta be. Gotta be. I don't see another way to do it, but who knows? I could mm-hmm. be wrong. So Rand feeling this overwhelming sense of awe when he reaches Camelin. I identify with this. I feel it. I can remember the first time I ever saw redwood trees, and they are just massive. Yeah. And I just kind of felt like, this doesn't even look real. This looks like someone just painted this thing here and it it doesn't look right and it's Mm -hmm. majestic or seeing really 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 tall mountains I remember the first time I drove through the Rocky Mountains I was like whoa that's like crazy Mm -hmm. and then the first time I saw the Alps I was dumbfounded yep when we drove through Colorado we just had like our heads out the windows just staring 
at the mountains and everything. Because I mean, we yeah, we I'm, live in we're Indiana, from the flatlands, exactly we're from the flatlands. So yeah, um, and that was exactly what Andrew mentioned when we were making that drive. He was like, "Yeah, but you can you imagine like somebody coming to Indiana who's never been there, and they're like, oh my God, you can see forever.' Yeah, it's so <laughs> it's so weird, but like mountains to me mountains and oceans that gets me I feel like the first time you've ever seen an ocean is another one of those overwhelming feelings of you feel so small mm-hmm. and I feel in the same way as some man-made structures like mm-hmm. this isn't just you know trees or mountains or oceans seeing big cathedrals Mm -hmm. I'm not a very religious person but I do like looking at artwork inside of cathedrals Mm -hmm. and churches and stuff so when you see all of these sculptures and the metal working like the wrought Mm -hmm. iron and all kinds of these ornate designs everywhere it's kind of humbling Mm -hmm. and I really love Rand having this moment of Wow, stars mm-hmm. in the eyes. Mm-hmm. I had mentioned Prague earlier as kind of fitting my headcanon for Camelin just because of its massive size and it mm-hmm. has a lot of old and new architecture mixed, sort of. Mm-hmm. It got me thinking and got me curious because they are filming in Prague. I wonder if they will actually use any of the cityscape Mm -hmm. or if it would be way too iconic looking like I feel like if you use Prague people would be like oh that's Prague Mm -hmm. but Game of Thrones did a lot of filming in Dubrovnik Mm -hmm. and then superimposed structures to make it look different so Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's something they will do I think it'd be really cool if they did. I think so, too. It's interesting, but Mm -hmm. I know a lot of these churches and stuff within the city, I mean, you see it, you know exactly where you are, and it might be too noticeable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did kind of want to ask myself again, how are these Ogier-built cities going to look Mm -hmm. on screen? Mm -hmm. And I think it's in your chapter... Loyal is talking about, is he talking about Manetherin or Camelin? He wanted to come to Camelin because part of the city was built by Ogier. Yeah, and for the mm-hmm. grove. Mm-hmm. And then I remember that Ogier, their stonework, is supposed to be with the idea of nature being put first. Mm-hmm. That really kind of just hit me. And I was kind of went down this rabbit hole of organic architecture architecture, mm, and mm-hmm. how it kind of can mimic many different styles. So, yeah. yeah, you can have organic architecture, but why can't I say that word right now? <laughs> Remember when I couldn't say wagon right? Weigh in. Weigh in. See, it's fine. The main tenets or the key points of this style uh-huh. all revolve around this. Inspired by nature and be subtle, healthy, mm-hmm. and conserving and diverse. Unfold like an organism from the seed within. Mm. Exist in the continuous present. Begin again and again. Mm. Follow the flows and be flexible and adaptable. Satisfy social, physical, and spiritual need. Grow out of the sight, be unique, 
and celebrate the spirit of youth, play, and surprise. And then this was my favorite. Express the rhythm of music and the power of dance. That That's sounds like beautiful. such an ogier um, <laughs> way of life, doesn't right? it? <laughs> ogier tinker combination. That's what it... Well, it, it made me think of the seed singing. Like yeah. doing our little stompy stomp dance. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, I love this, that. Yeah, but with this type of architecture, there's so many different people that have taken it and done different things. Like Frank Lloyd Wright is one who's very famous in the U.S., like Falling Water is breathtaking. But when I think of nature, I don't see it as very natural looking. Mm -hmm. Same. I know he kind of mimicked Japanese architecture 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 god amber for harmony between man and nature but mm -hmm. i think my head canon leans more towards like gaudi or you know like la sagrada yes. familia yeah with the almost tree-like arches yep. coming mm -hmm. up everything reaching toward the sky Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So I looked up the production designer for the show, mm. and I believe his name is, it's pronounced Andre, last name Nekvasil, mm. not sure how to pronounce that, but I've, I've gotten like, I went down this wormhole and I've gotten deep in it, <laughs> and everything that I found is really exciting. I love it. So... Graduated architecture studies at the Czech University in Prague. Master degree in film and set design. Dang. Academy of Performing Arts Prague. Lecturer in the Performing Arts in Prague, where he teaches film and TV design. And I was looking at some of the sets that he's made. Mm. And should I screen share? Can I even screen share right now? I think so. Do you see this? Ooh. So he did the sets for the, you know, the guy that made Parasite, Bong Joon-ho. I don't know how to pronounce it. I've, I have heard Parasite of him. Parasite won like many awards, mm -hmm. but this man that directed Parasite also directed a Snowpiercer film, not mm. the Netflix series, a different one. And these are some of the set pieces that- They're really cool. How do I pronounce his name? Andre, I think. These are the rough drawings and stuff of how they did the set. And this is the one that he worked Ooh. on. And he's in charge of the set for Wheel of Time on Prime. Ooh. For the Wheel of Time. Isn't that cool? This one's like a... So Snowpiercer takes place on a train. And there's this swimming pool within a train car and oh it looks God. almost like moss like a moss path mm -hmm. that you would walk across and then it looks very organic it's even so though cool it's looking. within a train these are all so <gasps> cool this is a train car with like a garden growing oh in it everything that I've seen that this man has worked <sighs> on I was just really struck by it. And if he's giving us our cities and set design, and I'm really, really excited to see what he comes up with. I mean, we've seen leaks. We've seen set leaks mm -hmm. before. And they looked cool, mm -hmm. but they weren't in its finished 
form. Mm -hmm. Just from what I've seen, I'm excited by, but I have to imagine things are going to be insane and totally different. That's exciting. That's exciting. I've got the link here. Yeah, I'll put it in our show notes for sure. That train, the the pool. Right? I want that pool. Isn't that cool? (laughs) It's incredible. That's such a brilliant way to set up a pool on a train. Because, I mean, how Mm -hmm. would you even think of doing that? That was cool. Thanks. I'm glad we can do cool things like screen share. Yeah. The next little thing, there are white cloaks right now in Camelin. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is setting up a strange dynamic. Mm-hmm. I know at one point, Matt takes the opportunity to mutter an epitaph about the Aes Sedai and Master Gil kind of like snaps at him, like, mm-hmm. watch your tongue. Yeah. He explains that the guardsmen have been punishing those who speak against the Aes Sedai because Elida is one of Morghese's right-hand people. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, the White Cloaks have been harassing those who speak for the Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of tumultuous. We've got a little bit of a... Power struggle? Yeah. The other thing about speaking out against Aes Sedai is, and I think this is just like a read on the situation based off of what Bunt, Mr. Blunt Bunt, uh, what, mm-hmm. he, what he said about people thinking that Elida is actually the ruler and Morghese is a puppet mm-hmm. for her, which is another thing that's just going to cause outrage in the people. Well, this got me thinking because we know Perrin's white cloaks are right outside the city at this point. Mm-hmm. Are they headed towards Camelin to just... I don't know. Are they just adding to the numbers that are in Camelin right now? Because maybe we've got the false dragon mm-hmm. who's being paraded. And I'm just curious what the White Cloaks are making their little pilgrimage mm-hmm. for. And what what is it about Camelin that they need to be there or within the vicinity yeah. of the city? That's a really good question. I mean, no one invited them. <laughs> I feel like the white cloaks are never invited right? anywhere. <laughs> They're the constant party crashers. But I mean, everyone yeah. else, like later on when Loghain is brought through the city, all of the all of the the countries, the nations, whatever, who helped in capturing Loghain, like they all come through, they've been invited in, and the white cloaks mm-hmm. are just like, hey guys, we didn't have anything to do with this, but uh, we We're like just gonna to show cause up and- trouble. Yeah. In a lot of ways, they take advantage of the fact that people are losing their minds for who knows what reasons, and they're drawing the dragon's fang on people's doors and Mm -hmm. going directly to White Cloaks and being like, this person's shady as fuck and you need to go check them out. You have strangers in the city, you have a shortage of food, Mm -hmm. you have overcrowding, you've got a bunch of rats, and then you've got white cloaks on top of it. Oh, and people who are unhappy with the ruling monarchy and have split themselves up into two different factions. It's kind of a pattern, is it not, though? Like, this Mm -hmm. is exactly what happens for the Battle Battle of Emmons Field, Mm -hmm. where... They were like, oh, you guys sure seem to be in trouble with all these trollic raids and Mm -hmm. whatnot going on. Here, we'll help. And then just insert themselves into this narrative of being the savior of some sort. And it's, it's kind of like wherever there's a little bit of chaos, 
the White Cloaks want to show up and insert themselves into this power struggle. Yeah. And, I mean, the other thing is, like, when you believe something, and I really feel as though the Children of the Light believe what they do is right, and that's actually one of the things that makes it so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. to read them, and what they do is because they feel like these abuses, these atrocities that they commit are the right thing to do, but they never really have true justice on their side. It's just what they interpret to be the thing that should happen next. And they just put Mm -hmm. themselves like maybe they're there as true believers, you know, like if if yeah, like if the dragon, if a false dragon is coming through, it's going to attract people who are dark friends or who don't follow the path of the light. And so Mm -hmm. they're just there to perform military missionary work. It's very performative almost, even though they're they're not some of them, you know, like some of them really believe this is their calling and everything that they're doing is just, I'm sure, but. And I mean, there's no hiding them because they exactly it's the white cloaks. You can see them anywhere. They have Mm -hmm. bright white cloaks and shiny armor. They are not trying to hide. They are there and people make room for them for the most part. Yeah. Out of fear or otherwise. Mm hmm. Mostly just fear. <laughs> they most And they mostly just work as a catalyst for something bad to happen. Yeah. They'll stir it up and then they'll sit off to the side and be like, we weren't part of that. You yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Very Emmons field later on as well. But that was all that I had for chapter 35. It was I a like lot. It. <laughs> it really was. There were things underneath that chapter that were almost more than the chapter itself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Makes you think. Web of pattern? Web web of the pattern? Web of the pattern. I do have to wonder what happened between Tom and Basil Gill that Basil Gill is so willing to help Matt and Rand. He's like, Mm -hmm. any friend of Tom's. And I mean, I think that's an okay thing to say when someone comes up to you and is like, hey, I need a place to sleep for the night and maybe some food and I'm friends with a friend of yours. And you say, okay, that's all right. I, I trust a night that friend. Or two. Yeah. yeah. But then the story comes out and they're like, oh, by the way, we're being hunted. Not quite sure why. Mm-hmm. Dark friends are involved. It's going to be, it, it could get bad. And you're still like, it's fine. Come on over. Stay as long as you need to. You're a friend of Tom's. What happened? I tried, I tried to look online and find any type of Basil Gill theory out right. there. And I just, I got nothing. 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 <laughs> I almost wonder that because Tom isn't allowed within the city, if this is his contact within the Ooh. city. You know, so like he still has an ear to the ground and knows what's going on in Camelin and maybe they're in correspondence with each other, but they haven't seen each other in a long time. Obviously, Tom can't show up. Right. I'm sure Tom would be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Strategic. Yeah, I'm sure Tom would pay back whatever information he gets. So I'm sure Mm -hmm. there would be something that Basil Gill would get in return if he was like his inside man you know maybe Tom 
sends some coin Pigeons. his way or something. Pigeons carrying coin. <laughs> <laughs> something, but... Not quite an ATM machine, but it works. He also, his inn is called the Queen's Blessing, and he's mm-hmm. like, I am a loyal Queen's man till mm-hmm. the day I die. Mm-hmm. And he really is. He really is. <laughs> he really he is. He really is. Yeah, that was one of the other things that I had thought about it as well, is like, that's, maybe that's just who he is. He's an all or nothing person you Mm -hmm. know he's gonna help you maybe this was um tom's place to hang out and drink when he Mm -hmm. was in camelin maybe this is just his buddy you know oh yeah maybe that was his preferred tavern of choice (laughs) who knows (laughs) oh that's a good point yeah because i'm just like dang that's a that's a lot to offer to someone yeah i mean i love you tracy but if you're like hey um I, if someone showed up at my door that I've never heard of and was like, uh, Tracy said for me to come here and right. here's her, I don't know, favorite jacket that she loves to wear and yes. she died saving my life. I would probably be like, okay, come in, tell me everything. But if the story got to the point like, yeah, and I'm being hunted by... Right demons i'd be like um Um, well (laughs) she's she's dead so could you could you go could you just i like living a lot and i think tracy would want me to live i would want you to live amber i would not in any way want to put your life in danger those would be my last words if it were a violent attack Don't and they unscroll Amber. like they, un- <laughs> they unfurl like some crinkly paper that's written with a brown with pen. Ink. Yeah, my favorite brown pen. That's so funny. But that's that's I just I love moments like this where it's like, hmm, okay. I guess I guess I'll just let that one slide because you kind of have to. But I do. I want a story. I want a story. Give us more layers of the story on top yeah. of this very long, very long story. Right. <laughs> How is we it possible? Yeah, I love it. I really like when Gil points out that whether or not Matt and Rand wanted it, they were now on the fringes of politics, and that politics is a mire of snakes is that what he says i think i wrote it it's a foggy mire full of snakes i wrote this quote down yeah was gonna use this maybe as our starter quote for the episode because oh my gosh (laughs) reading the other week reading a couple chapters in the great hunt right when they're in kyrian i am just oof I, I can't wait to get there. This is, it's so good. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. I appreciate the way that this is getting layered into the story as well. You don't have them thrown immediately into really complicated situations. You have them pulled out of the two rivers. You have their mm-hmm. innocence slowly broken and their trust broken along the way and then as they move forward now they're here in a city and someone is like so now this is another thing that you're gonna have to watch out for is this political layer of Mm -hmm. your life and I just think that's 
I think it's really interesting because I love the political layer and the maneuvering. Like I get lost in it so frequently because of like names and stuff, but I yeah. love the the parts underneath it. So I'm like, yes, something more is coming and I like it. I like it. And I love that it's kind of laying the groundwork for the next book. It's true. We're getting little sprinkles of it now. So mm-hmm. we don't. Yeah. So it doesn't catch you off guard, I guess. Yep. Because, I mean, even by the end of the first book, Rand is being mistaken as a lord and is being treated as a lord. And that is not who he is at all. But all of these experiences along the way have made it so that once they assume that, he's almost got the persona to pull it off. Mm -hmm. He's gained confidence, even if he may not have recognized it. He's gained leadership. He's been tested. This was really smart on Moraine's Uh behalf. She really pushed him off in this direction Mm-hmm. knowing day one is not going to be good. He's Mm-mm. not just going to wake up one day and it's going to be, oh, yeah, I can pull this off. It's mm-hmm. going to be a long journey. And yeah. like you said, by the time he gets there, he's almost ready. He'll, he'll, yeah. never, he'll never, I don't think Rand will ever be 100% ready for that Mm-mm. life. I mean, he walks away from it. Mm-hmm. That's how he ends. He doesn't want this Mm-mm. life. He but, wants to go off an adventure and hang out in inns and whatever it is that he chooses to do, but he doesn't turn around. Yeah, he's got a little gleeman in him yeah. after all of that. <laughs> a little wanderlust. I get mm-hmm. it. I get it. Anyway, so out of politics into the books, I just really like the voyages among the sea folk that pops up and that Rand is like, Tim always wanted to read that book. And I'm like, you're mm-hmm. their core more. Ha 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 ha. This happens quite a bit. I love it so much. Like, this is part of the really fun part of having read the whole series is being like, <laughs> Yeah, but it's only it's only interesting on the reread you know what I mean like your first time yes. you're just like okay whatever it but feels like I feel too like much it opens the the world is totally opened up again and you're like mm-hmm. oh shit okay like it's a whole new series mm-hmm. that's so fun I love that because I this is your first time rereading the series too right mm-hmm. yeah so. except for you know miscellaneous chapters that right. I just go back to let's see here so this is funny to me. Rand can't stop staring at Loyal's twitching ears. Mm-hmm. And I have to wonder if that's rude of Rand or not. Because in the Wiki Wheel of Time, it mentions that Ogre's ears are secondary erogenous zones. Gross. And... <laughs> but like, I think later on about how like, Loyal is talking to Perrin about Aerith and he starts to talk about her ears and he like blushes and is like, oh, I shouldn't talk about that. So it was like Rand being unintentionally super rude. Like is Loyal thinking my eyes are down here? Like what's happening in this moment? Uh, I just thought that was funny. Then Loyal's statement of, I studied every scrap I could find about traveling, about the ways with a capital W. I really hadn't realized how often they are talked about before they have to use them. But I mm-hmm. love like the buildup because that's 
going to happen in this book. They will be traveling the ways. And a little sprinkling of knowledge that we need to know. Yeah, and that they are no longer able to be used, that they are dangerous. So once we get to that point where they do get in the ways, we have an idea of this being big time bad news. Loyal explaining to Rand that this world is yours, yours and your kinds, the studying are mine. And I know we talked about this in the sentient creatures 101 that we did, but mm-hmm. I really kind of just get chills thinking about what the implications behind this could be and the ones that we talked about and how it has like a potential sci-fi crossover. So mm-hmm. just wanted to like kind of put that out there again. I love so many things about this series. I'm sure we overthink it. I'm sure Robert Jordan was not thinking that anyone would ever do this. Chill, you angry nerds. (laughs) (laughs) I will not. I will not chill. I need to know all the things, whether it's made up or not. And Rand, once again, making a reference to being a king and treating it like the idea is laughable. And it would be, but it's not. It's getting heavy-handed, Robert Jordan. Chill. Yeah, Chill. like he when he's a 12-year-old in the beginning of the book in Ravens and he's like, I'll be a king. And like, yeah. there's another point where he says something about it and he's like, ha, 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 that's funny. And now this point, I'm like, Rand. The Cormore. The, yeah, there's so, there's so many. There's so much foreshadowing. So much. So yeah. much. But if it's your first time reading it, it's just drops of information that don't really tie to anything until you get further in. I don't know. Like, day one, page one, while not counting the prologue, I'm like, okay, the tall red hood. He's the dragon reborn guy. He's the savior. He's the one. Okay. Like, let's go. Let's move things along. I'm ready. What's (laughs) ready for some action? (laughs) What's the next thing? I think, I think that is one of the hurdles that has to be overcome is like the beginning of the first book and I know that's kind of maybe no okay out of the probably handfuls of people that I've told you need to read this book out of the very few that have actually gone to read it Mm -hmm. I would say about four people that have actually read it Mm -hmm. I haven't had a single person stick with it after a couple chapters through Eye of yep. the World. So, yeah. I mean, this this isn't just my thoughts. Oh, Other no, no. feel this no. way. Aiden stopped after a few chapters, yeah. and he was like, I hear you talk about it on the podcast. And I'm like, man, I should really get back into that series. I'm like, just, just get out of the two rivers. Just get past Barrowland. I told him just, just watch a going. summary on YouTube yeah. of what happens in Eye of the World and then go to the great... I'm like, <laughs> I can I can fill you in. Just get, get on to the next thing. You need to read this. It's hard, um, though. It's really it hard. It's I just erased something in the notes that I had where the introduction of Loyal... I've heard this... I've heard other people say this before as well, just that the Ogier and Loyal's introduction is so on the nose with Tolkien's Ents, where, mm. like, don't be hasty, and we live very long lives. And it's like, oh, God, it's they true. Have, the Ogier it's have true. a stump. They manage trees in a way instead yeah. of being trees. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. I hadn't I hadn't really thought about that. I'm not really a big Tol- Tolkien, Tolkien 
fan, though. So it's probably one of the first series I ever read that weren't children's books. Yeah. So it sticks with me. And I'm not going to lie, like the movies for like the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. I can put that on any day, anytime and just chill. Yeah. I don't know. There's not I'm, there's not a lot of movies that are like your safe movies you know what Mm -hmm. I mean where you're like oh I'm gonna fall asleep what do I want to turn on that's just Mm -hmm. background noise yeah so I love that I didn't know that Battle of Helm's Deep is probably the reason why I love Lord of Chaos so much because it's I don't know Battle of Helm's Deep is one of the most epic battles of all time (laughs) and then I read Lord of Chaos It makes everything in Game of Thrones look like child's play. And people are like, oh, I love Game of Thrones. It's so gritty and it's dark. And I'm like, oh, boy, if you only knew pink mist and just bodies exploding. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. I I feel you. I feel you. Like anytime I've had the exact same experience. Like I've had friends that are like, oh, I'll totally start reading the series so that I can like listen to your podcast and get it. I'm like, that'd be awesome. And I'm like, you're not going to read it. I get it. Like, I mean, that first book, how how fucking thick is that first book? It's next to my head. It's like, (laughs) I mean, I can cover my whole head here. Yeah, I have the third, like I've mentioned, I have the 30th anniversary edition and it's massive. It's just massive. But I mean, I just haven't had many people that have actually read it and it just makes me really sad. I'm like, but you should. Aren't we Aren't we so glad we found each other? Yes. The minute you were I mean, like, we, I mean, I we already, this, yeah, <laughs> we've known each other for a really long time. We just mm-hmm. didn't know that we were hardcore book nerds. Nerds. <laughs> Okay. Anyway. The Long Chase? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very short little observation. (laughs) One. (laughs) One. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I could talk about Nynaeve forever, but so, oh, actually, I did write something down. So I do admire your restraint. Well Mm -hmm. done. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So before Lan asks her for help, she's leading Mandarb and the two other horses. Mm-hmm. And it's really cute that Mandarb kind of tolerates her. Mm-hmm. And she's saying, like, maybe it's just because, like, Lan gave her the reins. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of, like, nuzzling Mandarb's snout or whatever. And then mm-hmm. Deep wants in on this cuddle action. <laughs> And it's just Nynaeve, like, affectionately nuzzling these horses. And it's such a Disney princess moment. You know what I mean? Like, I just see her with the long braid and these, like, Mm -hmm. horses kind of, like... Yay! Yeah, right? She's turned Mandarv into a prancing pony, okay? (laughs) Hilarious. I like like how her reaction to Aldeeb is... Just because I don't like your owner doesn't mean I should take it out on you. Yeah. And it's that's just so naive to be like, okay, okay. She always knows You've, what the we, right We've thing... all seen the braid. You know she's a horse girl. One hundred percent. Yeah. And I don't then really... Yeah, you wrote something down, right? We were just talking about her nature in general and mm-hmm. I know that 
we've talked about this before. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but just how unhealthy her anger is. Yeah. And I don't mean like women can't be angry. Mm -hmm. I just mean that in the setting for her where she has to physically make herself upset to be be able to channel Mm -hmm. and that has to be such a draining, Mm. consuming thing, Mm -hmm. amping yourself up like that. Mm -hmm. Like that, I mean, like, can you imagine like smacking yourself around like figuratively (laughs) over Mm -hmm. things just to get yourself like adrenaline going Mm -hmm. and then channel? Mm -hmm. And then it's really interesting that she breaks her block as Lan is like diving into the water to save her mm-hmm. and she's already saving herself at this point mm-hmm. it's such a good moment for her is breaking the block and it's just like damn yeah. girl like finally and yep. that's why I like her and a lot of people can't stand Nynaeve they're like she's bossy she's bitchy she's mean she's delusional she thinks things that you know, like, I, I won't shout at you, she shouted. Like, <laughs> that's naive. And I can see how it would grate on people, like, on their nerves or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the reason she's so great is because she has such growth. I mm-hmm. mean, she starts off being picked apart by the whole village for her yeah. age and not taken seriously. And then... You can see it right now in her interactions with Lan where she thinks that his next step of anything that he says is going to be maybe demeaning or making fun of her, but it Mm -hmm. hasn't come yet. It sucks almost reading her right Mm -hmm. now because I know how she's going to end up. And I'm like, girl, like, just fucking get over it. Like, he's into (laughs) you. Stop. (laughs) But yeah, that's my... That's that's it. That I, that's all I got. I think one of the things that I, I like about Nynaeve is I can relate a lot to the righteous outrage. She reaches like these high mm-hmm. levels of this should not happen. This is not how it should be. And you just get kind of consumed in that and how that frequently is what pushes her to the anger point right and but how good is it to get angry sometimes when you just you oh, know what I, I mean love it I don't yeah. want to live there I will go there on vacation but I yeah I don't want to like build my house there right <laughs> you yeah. know what I, I mean want it, I want it for a moment and then I want to step back from it and be like okay Tracy but think about it from this angle too mm-hmm. so that you know like have and I think that's what I think that's what a lot of Nynaeve's internal monologues are about is her going from being because I mean she's still only what like 24 like I remember being that age and Mm -hmm. like I would say my and she's the adult one of the group exactly like and (laughs) she's the the wisdom of the whole village like Mm -hmm. she's still barely figured out who she is as a person because she has almost always been identified as this one thing like she's been the wisdom's apprentice for a long time and now this is what she is so outside of Emmons field who is she how does she behave and Moraine mm-hmm. just keeps kind of like smacking her down like without yeah. even realizing it and mm-hmm. Nynaeve doesn't know how to react to that so it's a very it's a very interesting dynamic and I appreciate how complex I find Nynaeve's character to be and relatable. I feel it's one yeah, of... Yeah, I just love seeing her grow 
Yeah. I mean, I'm pr- I'm so proud of her. That's yeah. it. Like that's I I I mean, I just look at her and I just want to be like, you did good. Like you did, you did great. great. Yeah, yeah, look at look at you. You got past mm-hmm. so many things and you grew so much. And mm-hmm. that moment where she hugs Moraine after Moraine yeah. rises from the dead. Like, so good. I love her. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rescue. Uh, ch- rescue. Let's rescue. I did not completely recognize the trauma this must have caused for a parent, but in particular for a queen, like when they're with the white Why cloaks. More, f- more for a queen than parent? Mostly because it's almost a trend that shows up for mm. a queen. Like okay, Perrin, I see what you mean. Perrin is captured in this moment, and his thoughts are, how do I protect a queen? Like, he's mm-hmm. concerned about himself, but he's also worried about a queen, and he's, like, constantly thinking, how do I get us out of this? And I'm not saying that a queen is not, and I'm not saying that they're not going to both be traumatized from this situation, mm-hmm. but this is going to happen to a queen, and then she's going to get captured and handed over to the Shanchan, which is mm-hmm. a million times worse than what the White Cloaks did. And then they get captured by, like, Black Aja sisters. They get mm-hmm. captured by them. Like, she's repeatedly getting captured and mistreated, and this has to have a massive effect on how she ends up. And I hadn't really, like, put this into place earlier. I feel like she never quite gets past it. I don't know if I would be able to either. Once is bad enough, but then to have it happen again Mm -hmm. and again and again, that's some bullshit. It's really one of the tragic parts of the story. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think it's really important that we get these journeys, I guess, with characters, especially with Egwene, because if you wouldn't know about all the times that she's been beaten and captured and basically tortured, fork-rooted, all of the above, mm-hmm. when you get to the end of her arc, and let's just, for example, like the meeting that she has with Rand, where she's she's not being very nice, Rand's not being very nice either. Mm-hmm. If you had just met her in that moment, you know, if she had just showed up as a off to the side character, you'd be like, what's her deal? What's mm-hmm. her problem? Yeah. But we know where she's been mm-hmm. and what she's gone through and mm-hmm. all the people that she's met along the way. But I guess that's, I mean, that's the same with any character, really. Mm-hmm. Like, Perrin, ooh, okay. So, like, what, how would we feel if we had just met Perrin when Fael is captured? Mm. Perrin finds one of the Shido. Mm -hmm. He goes crazy and starts chopping off body parts. And he was like, you look at me and you listen. I will keep chopping body parts off of you until you're nothing but a head and a stump. And I will have one of the sisters here heal you so that you are not in pain. But I will leave you on the side of the road as a beggar. Can you imagine how we would feel about Perrin if that's where we first met him and we didn't know Mm -hmm. everything that he's gone through? He would be a villain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But this is just the magic of Robert Jordan writing these gray characters where Mm -hmm. even Moraine, even Moraine, so many good things that she's done. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. she passes Lan's bond off to... 
someone, which in this world is the equivalent of rape or sex, like assault. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, every every one of our characters has done something shitty. Shitty. And <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, we have so many layers. Mm-hmm. So good. It makes them very human. And that's, I mean, that's something to appreciate. Mm-hmm. If I can't relate to a character, I can't get into a story. And if the character is so one-dimensional, how can I how can I feel connected to them? But in these emotional right. developments, you get to like in some ways you get to relive certain parts of your life as well. Like I know for me, thinking about like 16 and 24 and where I was at those moments and you know, heck yeah, it helps. Like- I love that Egwene is like, I'm going on an adventure. I don't. Right? I might not ever come home again. Don't care. Like, you know totally what I mean? Cool like, I've kind of been there, sort of. I right? mean, just going to like pick up, move to a different country. No biggie. Our favorite characters say more about us than it does about the characters that we like. I feel as though. I think you're right. Because I, I feel as though who I like and what I like has changed quite a bit. Thank goodness from when I first read the series as a teenager. Like, for me, as a teenager, it was fantasy, and wee, off we go. And yeah. it was really yeah. fun, and I loved it. And then as an adult, it's it's really different. And it in this time reading it and doing the podcast around it, I feel like I can safely sink into it, where I've always kind of felt a little weird about allowing myself to dig really deep into this series, even though all the material is there to do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a whole bunch of people who like dig this series as hard as I do. And so now yeah. I'm like, yes, I have permission. <laughs> I'm going to nerd out hard. Yeah. I kind of wish Lan would have just killed Byer. You know what I mean? Like, Bayer is kind of a one-dimensional character where all he wants is to kill dark friends. Parent and Perrin. Yeah, and Perrin (laughs) in particular because Perrin killed White Cloaks. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if he was a character worth keeping around. He shows up later, and I think the only thing he does is kind of help Lord Bornhold's son, who's, like, been after Perrin, wanting to kill him for killing his father. I think Bayer helps to push him into seeing that Perrin isn't the person that he thought he was. Does that make sense? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so lost. I'm sorry. He's an unnecessary plot pusher. That's the simplified version. I don't really think yeah. that he's necessary. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish Lan would have just, like, killed him. But at the same time, I really respect Lan being like, I don't kill unless I need to. Yeah. But, I mean, Byer would have killed him. So of course. what classifies as killing someone out of need? Maybe maybe Lan is like, this is just too unfair of a fight. <laughs> you Did know you I mean? see me avoid his axe? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I just see, like, Lan, like, sharpening his fingernails and then, like, being made out of rubber, just, like, bending backwards and forwards as buyers, like, trying to hack at him clumsily with a sword. Texas strand of hair behind his ear. Mm-hmm. What do you got? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, 
when Leanne mentions the factions within Tarvalon, I really liked it because I hadn't really caught it before because I wasn't looking for things in Tarvalon because I wasn't really familiar with Tarvalon. But I like that he says some would fight the Dark One one way, some another. The goal is the same, but the difference the difference can mean lives changed or ended the lives of men or nations. And that sums up Aes Sedai right there, that part. Mm-hmm. There you go. And I love it. It's this little seed planted. And it's also like the first time where we see Lan kind of questioning and going against Moraine in some ways. I almost wonder like her whole remember your oaths, Lan. Mm-hmm. She wasn't really talking about his his oaths being Malkiri. It was more like, remember, I'm in charge. Yeah. And you do as I say. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to be running after this. Mm-hmm. woman like mm-hmm. Moraine was very quick to be like I'll leave her behind like <laughs> she's not showing up we're out of here which is funny because she kept saying before that she's, she's part, a part of, of the pattern. pattern yeah and now she's like nope maybe maybe, maybe being part not. of the pattern is just um helping her rescue the more important, important person. person yeah yeah oh Moraine <laughs> She gets a face for that because you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Who she knows? Is, she is Kyrian. Kyrian. She needs to help release this future Amerlin that's so important. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. The only other thing that I have to say is I really love how we were given the little part about Nynaeve healing Perrin and she's rubbing the salve on him. Mm-hmm. And it's like the Wheel of Time equivalent of like icy hot. <laughs> Perrin's like, it's so cold, it burns. But then that actually masks the channeling that Nynaeve is doing. Mm-hmm. And then Perrin's like, her healings always work, whether it's fast or slow, but they mm-hmm. always work. Yeah. And I was just like, that was a really cool moment because if you're not careful I'm sure on the first read I'm sure plenty of people caught it but Mm -hmm. I didn't catch it and that's because I still wasn't quite sure about what channeling was like Mm -hmm. and I wasn't quite sure I mean I didn't even understand what Lan was saying here about the different factions within Mm Tarvalin and that was one of the things I was thirsting for is all of the different Ajas and Mm -hmm. I wanted to know more about it so yeah yeah I think it's one of those things that like I haven't ever really thought about it as her channeling to heal him in that moment like I figured if she had maybe Moraine would have like made a some sort of a big deal about it but I mean, especially with like some of the like bruises, bruises just don't disappear. heal. Yeah. yeah, bruises yeah. don't heal like. And even <laughs> with like the snap of a finger. Like he says that he's surprised at how well it works, and he comments that she looks a little surprised and like in awe or something of what has just happened. Like she's has a, there are multiple emotions happening, mm-hmm. and that must. And she also says next time go to her for healing. So Mm -hmm. I think that's it's kind of like her still thinking that channeling is dirty or Mm -hmm. not a good thing. 
Yeah, and of course she would be furious seeing those bruises on Perrin. She would be angry mm-hmm. at people who had inflicted that level of pain on someone from her mm-hmm. village. So yep. she would have been able to touch the true source whether she Absolutely. realized it or not. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Nynaeve, you're magic, legit, in so many ways. I don't think I have anything else that I wanted to add. Me either. Nope, I'm good for today. Thanks so much for joining us. We will continue to release new episodes every Wednesday. We would love if you would subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, and share us with your friends in the Wheel of Time community. Let us know what you thought of our content. Correct us. Send us things we may have missed. You can find links to our email and social media accounts in the show notes. And if you have the Anchor app, leave a voice message for us to play in upcoming episodes. We also have a website where you can find links to our Discord channel, social media platforms, and merch shop. So until next week, thanks for joining us on the road to Tarvalin.